Our Old Testament reading today is Daniel 7, 9 through 14, found in your pew Bibles on page 945. Before we get started, I'd like to pray. Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for uh, our health. I uh, thank you for the moisture that we've had uh, in the past week or so. And Father, I just ask that you open our hearts to this reading that it might move our spirits to be uh, closer to you, Father. And I just uh, just ask a blessing on each and every one of us here and for those that can't attend. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The Ancient of Days Reigns. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousands, a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for the season and time. The Son of Man is given great dominion. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he presented before him, and to him was given dominion, and the glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, and dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed thanks martin that's quite a picture let's continue on that as we look at we've been studying uh end times uh specifically paul's letter to the thessalonians uh first thessalonians and we're on chapter five which you know daniel wrote that thousands of years before and of course the bible is completely harmonious uh Paul is going to give us some more insight into this day of days. So if you want to turn to page uh, uh, 1257, 1257 in your uh, pew Bible or in your own Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, let's continue to walk through this great epistle of Paul and see if we can't uh, figure out what that means for us today. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, hear the words of Paul. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light. Children of the day, for we are not of the night or of the darkness. 
So let then, let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy Father, this is a deep, difficult, troubling, and exciting subject. May the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In the name of Jesus, amen. The second coming, the eschaton, the apocalypse, the day of the Lord, the rapture. People have been for centuries fascinated with what this is. What does it mean? When will it be? Uh, There has been a history of people trying to predict, trying to prophesy, when is Jesus coming back? What does it mean? There have been predictions from everywhere, from several popes trying to say the exact day of the Lord and the date, to Isaac Newton, John Wesley, Joseph Smith of the Mormon cult, the Jehovah's Witness, uh, Sing Young Moon, the cultist, Jerry Farwell, Gene Dixon. People throughout centuries have tried to say, this is what is coming. And of course, they've always been wrong. There was a book in 1988, if you're as old as I am, a book actually came out in 1988 called, let me hang on that picture for a minute. There was a book called 88. It was 88 reasons why, this is not the picture, sorry. 88 reasons why Jesus coming back in 1988. And it was a popular book. People were buying it up. And um, there's a true story that uh, there was an evangelist who was so excited about this book and thinking that it was right and that Jesus was coming back in 1988 that about a month before the date of Jesus' supposed return, he bought thousands of books. And just so happened that book in the back was an order form where you could order and put it on your credit card. So he ordered thousands of books on his credit card. Books came. He's given them all out. And then, of course, the date came and went. And sure enough, there became a bill at his door that said, you owe for a thousand of these books. He wrote a letter back and says, I don't have the money. I wasn't planning on being here. So <laughs> 88 days. But from back in my time, the late great planet Earth, Hal, Hal Lindsey, uh, one of the best-selling Christian books about the end times. People were fascinated. And then, of course, the Tim LaHaye Left Behind series was fascinating. The movies came out. I saw this meme. I thought it was kind of funny. It's about action figures that says, you know, there's Avengers action figures and there's DC action figures that said new left behind action figures are literally just empty boxes in the store. That was kind of a funny meme because this whole fascination with end times. So what do we do with this? This second coming. What is the return of Christ? What does it call us to do? What does it mean? And I, I kind of put as a title for this, ready or not, here he comes. And there are four challenges, I think, as we as believers, uh, there are four challenges to this topic that that I want to challenge us with and challenge myself. I think there's four things that I see Paul encouraging us at this scripture and throughout scripture about the end times. Number one is the reality of his return. He is coming back. It is real. Number two, that we should be ready for his return. We make no mistake. Watch and be ready for his return. The third point is that we need to reach others before he returns. We have got to be on point about reaching others. And lastly, the scripture says we should rejoice about his return. So let's talk about those briefly. The reality, being ready, helping others be ready, and actually rejoicing. 
Let's talk about the reality of his return. Just a clarification, uh, and I'm no expert. I'm no uh, eschatologist or apocalyptic expert. My, actually, my sister-in-law teaches here on Wednesday night. She's uh, brilliant on this area. But let's talk about the reality of his return. Just to clarify something, there's several terms in Scripture that get kind of jumbled together. There's the return of Christ. We call it the second coming. That actual phrase is not in the Scripture, but the return of Christ so we talk about, uh, Paul calls it the day of the Lord or the day of the return of Christ. When we talk about that, that's the actual physical return of Jesus Christ to the earth, stepping down the mountain where he actually ascended. That's the actual return of Christ to establish his kingdom with believers. Uh, that's, the, that's actually the return of Christ. Christ says it like this. It's just like from, you know, the same words out of Daniel. Imagine that. In Matthew twenty four thirty, Christ says this. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's Jesus talking about the second coming. But there's also the rapture of the church, and we kind of confuse those and get those thrown together sometimes. But Scripture actually, and Scripture is always clear, we just don't understand it. But Scripture interchanges the return of Christ, the second coming, the rapture, they're talking about the day of the Lord. They're kind of interchangeable, synonymous in the Scriptures too. It just proves that we really on this side of heaven don't know exactly what it's all about. Uh, the rapture then is where Christ descends in the clouds at the trump. We'll talk about that last week. The Christ actually descends in the clouds and the trumpet will sound. The dead believers' bodies will be resurrected first to meet with Christ in the air and get the glorified body. And then those believers that are on the earth will also be raptured up in the air with him. The whole left behind series. Uh, the whole idea is, and Jesus talks about that. So the second coming and the rapture, both are imminent events that we need to talk about. Now, many people believe, and most uh, evangelical theologians believe the rapture can happen right now. Right this second, we could be speaking and we could be gone. And that all has been fulfilled for the rapture. There are a few things historically, it looks like, in Israel. And we'll talk about this in Sunday school afterwards if you're interested in the parlor. About the second coming, there's still a few things uh, to happen in the Middle East before the actual second coming of Christ. Most theologians, uh, conservative, agree. But again, the reality of his return... And the reality of the rapture, we're going to ask ourselves, this is not fairy tale. This is not science fiction. This is not allegorical. This is the reality. It's really going to happen. How do we know it's going to happen? Well, first of all, how do we know it's for real? Jesus says it will happen. <laughs> if Jesus says it, I believe it. He talks, it says, in fact, there are one out of 30 verses in the New Testament are about the return of Christ. Has he ever been wrong? Jesus Christ says, I am coming back. And I don't know about you, but I, I take him at his word. Uh, secondly... The prophecies of the Old and New Testament have always been fulfilled and always been correct. Now, for Jesus' first time on earth, for what we call the incarnation, Jesus' life as a man, when, when the Word became flesh, there were 353 prophecies in the Old Testament predicting that Jesus would come back, how he would live and die. In fact, Jesus fulfilled 28 of those prophecies just on the cross. If he perfectly fulfilled those 353 prophecies... Then the second time he's predicted to come in the scriptures, there's over 300 prophecies in the scriptures about his second coming. Why would we not also believe those are true? It's for real. It's not fake. It's not fiction. It's not fake news. It's going to happen. Do you believe the reality of his return? But secondly, more important, are you ready? Am I ready for his return? Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 44, about this. He says, therefore... You have that up there. 
Therefore, we must also, you must be ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It will be a complete surprise. But all through Scripture, it's talking about like a thief in the night. Like you're, you, woke up when, and you woke up in your house and someone had broken in and left things. We live over in a neighborhood. People tend to come by and break car windows. You walk out and your window's broken and people have stole stuff. Scripture says it'll be like that. You won't even know that it'll, it'll come quickly in a, in a second, in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, Jesus talks about being ready in a parable we won't have time to go into. But if you look at the parable in Matthew 25, uh, it says that Jesus says, The coming of man, my return is like uh, an old Jewish wedding, a, a traditional wedding where uh, in those days in the Middle East, when a king got married, the king would come to the city where the bride was. And the bride would have ten virgins who had lamps filled with oil and the wicks ready. And they would wait in the bridal room. And they would wait because the bride would already be in the sanctuary or the temple. And when the king would come with his entourage, then the ten bridesmaids would light their wicks full of oil. And they would lead the king in procession into the sanctuary and have the wedding. And Christ says there were ten virgins. Five of them... <clears throat> kept using their oil and lighting their lamps and weren't waiting. And as the king took a long time to be there, their lamps began to run out of oil and their wick burned down. But the other five saved their oil and kept their wicks trimmed. And when the king announced the king was coming in town, Jesus says, the five had no oil. They had to run into town and try to buy oil. And when they came back, they missed the whole show. The king had come. The five prepared virgins had had escorted him down into the sanctuary, into the temple. And when those other five came to the door, Christ says this in this true parable. It says, Matthew 25, 11 through 13. I think we have that. It says, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. Are you ready Do we, are you personally ready? Will we be ready when Jesus comes? Will we be prepared? Will it not be a shock or a terror, but a joy? Will you know Jesus? Will you be in the wedding? Will you be called? Will you be lifted up? Will you be with him when he returns? Will I be with him? Well, Paul is very clear about that. He said right there in the verse in Thessalonians, he said, you don't have to worry. If you're a children, if you're a child of the light, if you're not in darkness, he says, you'll have a breastplate of faith. You know Jesus in your heart. And the helmet of salvation, using the same illustration as a Roman soldier that he uses in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. He says, if you know Jesus in your heart and in your head believe, you're going to be in the wedding. You don't have to worry. In fact, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, then you're going to be saved. You're, the, the, the day of the Lord will be a great day for you. Do you know? Paul says again in this verse, have you obtained salvation through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? Do not be asleep. Be ready. I love how Martin Luther says this. I think I have this quote from Martin Luther. He says, I live as though Jesus died yesterday, arose today, is coming back tomorrow. I live like Jesus died yesterday, he's rose from the grave today, and he's coming back tomorrow. Do you and I live like that? Do you have your armor on? Are you ready? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? If not, you will be left behind. If not, you will be. The, the return of Jesus will be the most frightening thing in the history of, of your life, of the universe. Make sure you've called Jesus your Lord and Savior in your heart and in your head. There's a true story of a little girl that was leaving church with her mom. She was about six years old. And the preacher had, like we are, talked about Jesus coming back. And as the little girl and her mom walked out of church... 
little girl looked up at her mom and said, Mommy, is Jesus really coming back any moment? And the mom said, Absolutely. And she said, Mom, will you brush my hair? <laughs> is your hair brushed? Are you ready? Are you dressed? Have no doubt about that. And if you have a doubt about that, talk to us. We're here for that. So one, it's real. Two, are you ready? But thirdly, what about the others? Are you reaching other people? Have you just got your fire insurance and just got your passport and you're good to go? And there are people around you that are going to be left behind? We have to be sure that the re- one of the main reasons that once we come to know Christ, he doesn't just whisk us off to be with him like he'd like to, but we leave, he leaves us here on the earth. And one of the main reasons is to tell others. The scripture says that God is not slow as some count slow, but God is patient. He is waiting because he desires that no one should perish. This is a frightening and exciting verse, Matthew 24, 36 through 42, about what's our role as those that have already called upon the name of Jesus. He says this, again, the words of Christ, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son. How do people who keep predicting not see this word? No one knows, not even Jesus, at least, when he was here on earth. Only the Father knows. And he says it'll be just like the days of Noah. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding in the mill, at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. And what is the challenge, the warning? Therefore, just the same words as Paul, stay awake. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Are your friends ready? Do people want to do just like Noah? If you picture that, that scene where year after year on this open plain, this crazy man is building a boat. And every day when someone will ask him about it, he says, a flood is coming. It will drown the entire, it will drown everyone. Do you want to get on the boat? And people laughed at him and drank and laughed and laughed. And then on that day, it never rained on the earth in the Bible until this day. No such thing as rain. Until this very day, it begins to rain, begins to flood. And then the flood begins rising and the doors are shut. And can you imagine what Noah and his family heard as people are banging on the door saying, Can I come in? Let me in. And it was too late. Folks, Jesus says it exactly like that. For your friends and your family and our neighbors and people that don't know Jesus, it'll be the same thing. It'll be too late. Are we too cool or too sophisticated or too politically correct or too afraid of being uncomfortable to tell our unbelieving boss or golfing buddy or PTA or or, or whoever, the kids that play, are we too cool to tell people that they're going to be left out? Who do you need to tell? What are we doing about the fact that Christ is coming back right now today? There are 12 Thai boys from Thailand who, as you know, have been following this story, who after their game in time, they follow their soccer coach. These boys are like from 11 to 12 years old. There's 12 of them and a soccer coach is 20. They decided to visit this famous cave in Thailand. As they got into the cave, the rain came and the entrance to that cave is blocked and they went two more miles and they've been in the cave, lost in the dark for two weeks. Two British divers spent 10 days going through every cave and finally they found those 12 boys alive and safe sitting on this ledge in a cave and now the Thai Navy and British and all over they're teaching these young boys how to dive 
and how to breathe through scuba apparatus. It's the only way they can get them out. Two divers at a time with one young man trying to get them out. That's going on right now as we speak. Pray for those boys. One diver has already lost his life trying to get kids out. Folks, that is what Jesus is talking about. Our friends, those, the rest of the world who don't call upon Jesus are in darkness. They are lost. The monsoon is coming. They will die without Jesus. Would we be willing to do it? Would would you give part of your life, your time? Would we give? What will it take for us to go back and get our friends and lead them to the light? What kind of friends are we? What kind of church are we? What kind of Christians are we? If we let people, as C.S. Lewis says, politely and quietly let people go to hell. What does it look like? How do we do these? How do, are we sober? How do we awake? Well, I think of people that are doing rescue missions in our church, in our community. I had the privilege, uh, Howard uh, and uh, Murray were on vacation with their family, well, well deserved. And I had the privilege of being the, the pastor on call here and got a call to go to Bivens Point there and, and see some of our sideline saints who are struggling at the end of life. And I was there talking, the families appreciated it. And one of the, one of the young ladies and her, her son said, we so appreciate First Presbyterian coming by so frequently. I said, well, I'm sorry, it's my first time. They go, oh no, someone's here every week, almost every day. Someone from Nuffs has been here. Richard and Kay Hamburger, everyone I went and talked to, Richard and Kay Hamburger had already been there, telling them, preparing them, making sure they're ready for their end time. And Kay Hamburger has cancer, she's in chemotherapy, but she's she's going back to make sure that someone knows about Jesus, that everyone is ready. Two, uh, three weeks ago, we did four Amarillo. You'll hear about that in a minute. And we did a vacation Bible school. Wonderful one here. Kids came to know Jesus. But we also did one at Astoria Park and over at East Ridge where Brady and Will set that up. And members from all four churches and the four Amarillo churches did VBS at East Ridge Church. Over 21 different languages. Refugees. Michael Ann and, and Debbie, Danny Hogan, our intern, said that Muslim girls came in their burqas. And Muslim kids, and as they'd sit there, when they opened the Bible, they would cover their ears and say, we're told not to listen, we can't hear the Bible. When they said the name of Jesus, they'd say, we don't believe in him. But yet, they kept coming. Every day, more and more kids, some 90 kids by the end of the week, they began singing songs about Jesus, hearing the good news about Jesus. One little Muslim girl asked Jesus to be her Lord and Savior. Those are the kind of things we should be doing. Going back and finding people in the dark. We've got to be rescuers. We can't just have Jesus and be selfish he is coming back. Who do you know that's going to be left behind? Who do you know that's not ready? That you haven't had the guts or the willingness to say lovingly, to show them Jesus and to tell them about Jesus. Folks, the day is near. It is imminent. What else could we offer people than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We've got to be reaching others for Christ. Sorry. And the fourth thing, besides reaching others, besides being ready ourselves, And besides believing it's real, we should rejoice over his return. How do you feel? How does our culture feel about the return of Jesus Christ? Used to be a bumper sticker going around. It said, Jesus Christ is coming back and boy, is he ticked off. That was a bumper sticker. How do you feel? I talk a lot to college students and young adults in high school, middle school. And every once in a while, one of them will say, well, I really hope Jesus doesn't come back too soon. Like, well, why is that? Oh, I just have so much to do. I want to see the world. I want to travel. I want to get married. I want to have children. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no idea what it will be like when we get to heaven. When we see Jesus, this will mean absolutely nothing to you. In the 70s, a group called Larry Gatlin wrote a song. 
It's called the Midnight Choir. And it kind of gives you that mentality that people tend to have about the return of Jesus. It's about homeless people going to a rescue mission in downtown Nashville and they, they get saved for the third or fourth time so they can get the bowl of soup and they can have the meal. And they go out, the preacher pats them on the back and they go down to the corner of 4th and Broadway. And the song says they hope someone has scored a bottle of Mogan David. Now, Mogan David is the cheapest wine made. It's, it's horrible stuff. It's stuff that, you know, I, in high school, I had, you know, that's all I could afford before I was a Christian. And I just, I, I, I get sick thinking about it. But the Mogan David is the cheapest wine you can buy. And these homeless guys are passing around a bottle of Mogan David, and they sing this song called The Midnight Choir. Well, they have Mogan David in heaven. Dear Lord, we all want to know. Will they have Mogan David in heaven? If not, who the heck, but it's another word, wants to go? And that is a great song, but it captures what most people don't realize. There's nothing here on earth. In fact, someone said that take every one of your greatest moments that you've had as a human on this earth and multiply them by a billion, and your first millisecond in heaven will be better than all those multiplied by a billion. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, all of our life in this world and all the adventures that we had have only been the cover, the title page. Now at last, when we get to heaven, we'll begin chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. C.S. Lewis says when we get in front of Jesus, it'll be like waking up from a bad dream that we forget very quickly. Paul says that we should encourage one another. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says this is how we should feel about the return of Christ. It says this, we are citizens of heaven. We don't live here for long. This is temporary housing. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return. Do you look forward to the return of Jesus? Paul says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Do you hope for it? Can you not wait for it? If not, you don't know, we don't know our scripture. I've done several funerals recently. And almost every time, especially our wonderful elder folks, they always want one song. You know what I'm going to say. Amazing Grace. But it's not the first verse that really captures what we're talking about as far as rejoicing in his uh, return. It's that last verse, isn't it? The, the, the piano gets louder. The, the symphony plays a little louder. We sing a little louder on this one. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Are you excited? Are you rejoicing? Can you not wait? Do you and I pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly? Just that recap. The coming of Christ, the rapture, and the second coming is real. Do you get it? Is it for real to you? Are you ready? Make sure you're ready. We'd love to help you with that. Any of us on staff, have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Have you been rescued? Have you moved from the dark to the light? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Will he know you? And will you and I be living lifestyles that are sober, that are not much different than we're going to live in heaven? Are we living a lie and he'll catch us in? Are you running a rescue mission? Who today, the person that comes to your heart, to your name, the name that comes to your heart when you're like, they're not ready. Who's the one or two people that you've got to go back and get? There's got to be somebody. I know there is. And are you excited? Are you just thrilled that Jesus is going to come back? A lot of days I just look, my wife and I look at each other and say, today would be a good day <laughs> for Jesus to come back. I want to leave you with this picture. It's just the same picture thousands of years ago that Daniel was given. And it's in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. I want you to picture this. 
It's not the sweet little Jesus on our vacation Bible school pictures. It's not the little white Jesus we see uh, in some of our churches or in the media. This is what John saw, the last disciple. Everyone else has been murdered, dead, crucified upside down, boiled and all, cut in half or killed themselves like Judas. He's the only one left. He's in an island off the Greek coast, the Patmos. He's in prison for his life. He's the only one alive still. He's in his 80s. Who knows how old he is? And he not he sees Jesus Christ appears to him, the living, resurrected Jesus Christ, and he pulls back the curtain of time and says, I'm going to show you what my coming looks like. I want you to picture this, and I want this to be in your mind as you leave the sanctuary. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Logos, the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Folks, that's us. And it says, and he will, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Mine eyes have seen the glory. It was written by this verse. On his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Ready or not, he's coming. Are we ready, church? Are you ready personally? Who do we need to help get ready? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus wins. No matter what's happening in this world, no matter who the Supreme Court justices are, we pray for that. No matter who the next president is, no matter what wars, what's going to happen, Jesus wins. And therefore we win. As Jonathan Edwards said so greatly, because Christ is king, everything bad will be turned to good. The good will last forever, and the best is yet to come. We pray this in the name of our reigning, ruling Christ.